Hello, Jewish family. Today we're going to look at Acts chapter 23, verse 1 to 11. And uh, if we go through this, uh, we understand that um, this is a part of a larger context of Paul's um, trial. Uh, he was warned back by even his own disciples and fellow believers back in chapter 21 about not going to Jerusalem because of how hard things are going to get. Uh, but Paul understood that uh, he he didn't really care so much about what the disciples and other believers thought, but he only cared about what the Lord wanted. And the Lord had already said that uh, he was going to be persecuted. And uh, uh, he even got a vision from Agabus in chapter 21, verse 11, <coughs> foreshadowing the fact that he's going to be bound and he's, it's, going to, <coughs> it's going to be very difficult for him that he's going to be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles. And everything here comes to pass. Uh, he goes in uh, to Jerusalem to help and uh, support the church. He gives this love offering uh, to them because the Gentile church wanted to show their love and appreciation for them. And, and you know, it shows the unity of the body of Christ here. In chapter At the end of chapter 21, he's out uh, making a defense uh, on the fact that, you know, defense that he is actually... Um, uh, innocent of doing any crimes other than the fact that he worships Jesus Christ. Uh, he goes up to the trial. People are surprised, and at least the Gentiles were surprised. There was a Roman co cohort that, that thought that he was the, the, uh, the, the, uh, was basically an Egyptian uh, thief or uh, was part of this Egyptian group of people that led a revolt and um, these, you know, these assassins that were, uh, uh, that were killing people. But Paul assured him that that he's not that's not him. Uh, he goes in and makes a defense uh, to the Jewish uh, people that are there. He, he tells them about his testimony and how everything that he believes in is not because he's anti-Jewish. Rather, he's actually someone that fulfills all of God's law. Uh, he used to be one of them in that way too. Um, he used to kill Christians. Uh, so everything he's doing, he's moved by the Lord to become the person that he is now. Uh, now, at this point, uh, Paul is being taken uh, to uh, the Jewish council, and he's now making another defense. And uh, the, I think the overarching lesson um, that I want us to learn is just in this particular section is that we want to be faithful, and, the, and that the Lord is honored uh, when we are faithful to him. In light of very difficult circumstances and, and uh, trials, the Lord is always going to be honored, and um, we can glorify the Lord uh, in uh, in every circumstance. So here, hopefully we can draw some of those lessons here today. So looking at chapter 23, verse 1, Paul, looking intently at the council, said, Brethren, I have, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. Now, Paul, before he was a believer, he thought that what he did was for the Lord. Right? He, he was, before he was converted, he thought that Judaism was the way. He was a zealous <coughs> He was zealous uh, for uh, uh, the way of Judaism. And he had persecuted the way, the only way, the, uh, the Christian faith. Um, he, he thought he was doing that for God, and then he was later uh, you know, told by Jesus himself that that's not the case, that he was actually going against the Lord by persecuting the church. So he, he says here that he's lived a perfectly good conscience before, uh, before the Lord up to this day, uh, meaning that he has nothing in his life that, he could accuse himself of that. This is similar to First Corinthians chapter four, verse four, where Paul writes in the, to the Corinthians, "For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not, yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord." 
So Paul, up to until this point, feel that he's done all that he was supposed to do in terms of representing Christ, uh, or representing the Lord and honoring the Lord. Um, even before his conversion, he thought that he was doing things that were pleasing to the Lord. Now, at this point in chapter 23, this is really the beginning of Paul's prison ministry. He's going to he's going to be uh, persecuted here, and he's going to be thrown into prison. And uh, this is what, uh, really, when you think about the prison epistles, it starts here. Verse 2, the high priest Ananias commanded those standing beside him to strike him in the mouth. And it's important to note that this word strike is not like a slap. It's like a punch or some people think that he used like a rod or some sort of weapon to strike uh, uh, you know, Paul in the mouth. Uh, and if you've ever been punched before or hit in the face, you know that it's it's not pleasant. And usually it takes some time for you to kind of uh, regain with, uh, your step or even your um, your momentum and just thinking about what's going on. Uh, and then when when that happens, verse 3, then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit to try me according to law and in violation of the law order me to be struck? So uh, when Paul called him a whitewashed uh, wall, this is the term that's used to describe uh, a hypocrite, basically. Uh, there's a wall that you're usually painted, and if you lean against it, it's just useless. So outwardly, it looks fine, but when you lean towards it, it's useless. And that's the idea here, that these people outwardly think that they're righteous, but when you try them or you put any pressure, you realize they're not as godly as they seem. He sits there, and he's he's really like putting a, almost like a precatory statement and um, uh, you know, uh, telling them that God is going to judge them for them, for this action. Now, what is interesting here, it was like verse 4, but the bystanders said, do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was a high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. Now, this is interesting because right in verse 1, he says this. He said that he has done nothing. There's nothing that he felt that he did wrong before the eyes of the Lord. In fact, what Paul did here in verse 3 when he speaks against the, uh, Ananias, um, he's actually, uh, in a lot of ways, he sinned. He overreacted. And, you know, it makes sense in a human sense. He's He got beat up before. Uh, um, without a reason, now he's getting struck in the face again, uh, and he probably you know he reached his limit. And, he's, and he called him a whitewashed wall, which is you know offensive thing to say. Um, and he's you know attacking uh, Ananias here, and they ask him like, "Do you revile the great high priest?" And this word "reviling" is this idea of cursing or or uh, insulting or mocking the high priest. But Paul's response is fascinating here, and that. He wasn't aware, brethren, that he was high priest, for it is written, you should not speak evil of ruler of your people. Now, this is a very humbling thing, because Paul, even in his, um, even the fact that he's innocent here and he's being struck, uh, he, he, unlike Jesus, Jesus, when he was struck, he was silent. Paul spoke up against him. In a lot of ways, you can say he, he sinned here. Uh, we know that, that's, that the apostles are not perfect. Uh, we know that none of the disciples lived a perfect life, but they are at least aware of their sin and their shortcomings. And that's what's going on here. He he because he's confessing a sin and because he knows that what he's done is wrong. He know that he should he 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 knows he's aware that what he did was actually a a violation of uh God's law or God's standard. And you know and this again I think proves and highlights the fact that he ha he does live perfectly in his, in, his, in his conscience is perfectly clear of doing anything wrong. Because the moment he does sin, he confesses it right away. So this is an actual sin here. 
And I think this is very encouraging for us to know that Paul has, you know, this is a, a weird, weird way to see and that's recorded that we see someone like Paul sin. But what is so amazing about Paul is that he was quickly to con- quickly uh, able to confess his sin, even to those that are hurting him. Now, when we think about our own life, when we think about how we can honor the Lord, even in the light of those that don't like us, sometimes we justify our behavior to those that are anti-God by slandering them. I know that in the last year or so, and especially whatever political leanings the last four years, there is a tendency to slander against the leaders that are above us. Uh, we think that whatever political party, that part, person in that party is stupid, and we make insults about them. You know, I think, uh, I might get in trouble saying this, but, you know, I, I sometimes question even things like the Babylon Bee. You know, they're intentionally trying to revile uh, but I think sometimes as Christians, we think that's okay because it's satire. But sometimes things like this can go too far. And I think that, unfortunately, what makes us stand out is not shouldn't be our wittiness. It shouldn't be about our the way that we uh, make clapbacks or come back when we insult people. But rather, it's just really a humble heart and just not and just entrusting that vengeance belongs to the Lord. But you understand that here. Paul understood that he can revile. In fact, reviling in the New Testament, Paul writes that like those are revilers will not enter the kingdom of God. And when we are sinned against, how quickly are we to confess those sins, even to those that are actually doing something wrong? You know, when we're debating against family members or cults, sometimes we can get overboard with the way that uh, that we talk to them uh, or even about them. But in reality, it's a sin to the Lord. Paul here is aware of that, and he confesses the sin. I wonder for you, you think about those interactions you have that maybe in um, poor taste or maybe it, you know, the way that you talk wasn't seasoned, seasoned with salt. It wasn't like speaking the truth in love. You know, how often do you confess your sins to that person and that you've done something wrong? And I think one of the best testimonies of a changed life is that you can acknowledge even to those that are you know, not believers uh, that you have sinned and you've done something wrong. And you even ask for forgiveness. And that's what's going on here. Paul being struck, overreacted, and sinned against the Lord here, and he confesses openly in front of everyone (coughs) that, yeah, you shouldn't speak evil against your ruler of your people. Verse 6, but perceiving that one group were Sadducees and other Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisee, I am on trial for the hope and the resurrection of the dead. Now, Paul does something very strategic here. He's you know, he's talking to these two different religious groups. The Sadducees, you, they're probably in our modern day the more liberal type thinking people. Like they reject the supernatural and the resurrection. They don't believe in any of those things, like angels and stuff. But the Pharisees, they hold to the more to like the 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 religious. I don't know, like zealot zealous type people. They hold to everything literally, and uh, so you have the two extremes here. And Paul is saying really challenging them that the reason why he is being tried and again no one knows why he's being tried here like remember the, the Roman court is still watching all of this playing out and he's saying the reason why I'm being tried is because of uh, for the hope and resurrection of the dead now this is what he said earlier right when he was giving his testimony he said that Jesus of Nazarene came and asked him why are you persecuting me and he's by saying that he's saying that Jesus has actually come back to life but here what's fascinating is the reaction to this the Pharisees and the Sadducees reactions as he said this, there occurred a dissension between Pharisee and Sadducee, and the assembly was divided. So he, he kind of like pit the the false religious leaders against one another here, which was a master class move. I'm sure Paul understood what both sides 
were thinking and he just uh, told them uh, he basically shifted the focus on against uh, uh, you know instead of focusing on him and now it's against one another first they first had to say that there is no resurrection nor an angel nor a spirit but the fairest acknowledged them on and there occurred a great uproar it sounds like you know there was a great uproar when paul was speaking in verse uh, 21 verse uh, 30 uh, 20 uh, 34 said so among the someone shouting but among the crowds some were shouting one thing another and were and when he could not find out the facts because of his uproar he ordered, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks so the same idea now first they're uproar against paul now there's an uproar against one another uh over this issue uh, uh continue on verse nine and some of the scribes of the fair fair city part stood up and began to are you heatedly saying we find nothing wrong with this man suppose a spirit or an angel has spoken to him question mark so it's funny because because of their dissension uh the pharisees are like oh hey here's a chance to win an argument against sadducee so uh yeah he's on our side uh in this particular point <laughs> and we find nothing wrong with him so the pharisees are willing to let paul go just so they could win this theological argument and as they are doing so and paul basically uh, is off the hook here um, again, it's a masterful class move that you can use the enemy and divide themselves against one another to give you some sort of rest here. Uh, I had a friend, oh, I knew of a pastor that did that in his dissertation. He was defending his paper and it was like a, um, it was a, uh, he was defending his position, uh, in terms of the authorship of, of a book in the Bible. And he held to one view and, uh, some of the, uh, some of the people that were testing him held to another view and he basically spent he he had, he shared one view and then uh, this other person challenging one that view and then the the board that was like you know testing him uh start going against one another start debating against each other and it was just him watching these guys arguing over the points uh for like you know over like an hour or so and he basically didn't have to do much of defending because there were the people you know defending for him that's kind of like what the idea here he's able to leverage a circumstance um to his advantage here and have the this the religious group go against one another first and as a great dissension was developing the commander was afraid paul would be torn to pieces by them in order troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him to the barracks again this is like not that this is exactly like what happened um verse uh chapter 21 verse 34 right at the end is that he ordered him to be brought into the barracks same thing here uh the, the this commander it was just He's just watching all of this and have no clue what they're talking about, why they're debating about this. And he still doesn't have a clear answer on why Paul is, is, is being attacked here. Why is he being treated this way? So he's like, okay, this is, this is going nowhere. Just take Paul out of here. I mean, he, he noticed that people were upset and he couldn't figure it out. So like, just for the sake of protecting this Roman citizen, because you know, Paul is Roman, uh, they just told him to go into the barracks. Verse 11. But on the night, Immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for as you have been solemnly witness to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. Now, this is a very, very um, touching moment, I think, because he's in prison and the Lord himself comes. Jesus stands by, him, by his side. He told him to take courage. He's giving him comfort here. Like, because this last, I mean, this whole situation probably lasted a few hours. It was not, this was not a pleasant experience being beat up by all the Jews and then and then being slandered and, you know, being struck in the face by a high priest and even failing uh, for a short while in sin and reviling back, you know, he, he, he failed. And he, he failed in some temple, but he succeeded in the way of honoring the Lord. And God tells him to take courage. Again, this is similar to 
in Matthew 28, where Jesus promises his disciples that he will be with us, that he'll never leave us or forsake us, even to the end of the day when we're you know, going out and making disciples and representing Christ. And Paul is being encouraged by the Lord to take courage. And as you continue on, this is for us, you have song, <coughs> solemn witness to my cause at Jerusalem. So again, he's basically saying you fulfilled, you did your job, you're faithful. Um, and that's something that's very, that's good to hear from the Lord. And that's what we always want to hear. Uh, we want to be known by the, in God's eye, not just you know, like your pastors or your small group leader, or your family members or whatever. You want to be known by, in, in, before the Lord that you are found faithful, uh, that you've done what you're supposed to do, that you were a good witness. Because remember, all of this stuff that happened was, it was, was already prophesied long, I mean, in, prophesied all the way back in chapter 21, right? Or even chapter 20 when he was leaving Ephesus. Uh, this is all to show you that he was faithful from leaving Ephesus to go, uh, and leaving Ephesus and, you know, breaking down and telling and warning them all the way to the journey that he took back to Jerusalem, getting uh, attacked and everything. This is all part of God's plan. In that, he was found faithful in representing the Lord. Now, I wonder and I hope that that's the same way that the Lord will respond to us when we see him that he can say that we were faithful, uh, that we were a good witness to his cause at maybe not Jerusalem, could be San Francisco, could be anywhere in the Bay or wherever the Lord moves you, that you, that wherever the Lord placed you, that you are found faithful in his eyes, <clears throat> that we represented him in the way that we should. And um, and that's uh, what Paul was encouraged to hear from the Lord himself. And uh, and he ends with this, Jesus, Jesus says to him, so you must witness at Rome also. Now, this just means that Paul is not going to die in this prison. He's not going to die in this barracks. Uh, much like <clears throat> much like how in uh, when Jesus was on, on the boats and, and the disciples thought that uh, the storm was going to sink that boat, uh, they very obviously have failed to connect the dots. Jesus said that they were going to be persecuted in the future. They're going to go through all the suffering. They thought that, well, we're going to be on the boats or we're going to die. They, they, fail to recognize that these words means that they're actually going to survive everything from like from that point on all the way until Christ's word is being fulfilled. And when Paul heard this, that you must witness at Rome, it means that he's going to get out of Jerusalem. Uh, for however, however it means that he, at the time, he probably didn't know, but he knows that he is going to make it. And God has given him a promise, given him basically another mission for him to go, and he's going to get there. And this is what we want to be as well. Much like how Paul, even in light of persecution, yes, he fought, fails um, and he confesses a sin, but in his overarching um, life, uh, and especially here in this time, he was found faithful before the Lord and the Lord encouraged him to keep going. Um, and I hope that that's our life as well. That yes, in, our, in, our, in, our, in the ministry that we have here in the Bay Area, with the life that the Lord has given us, that we would be able to faithfully represent him that even if we are, uh, uh, even if we fail, sometimes morally uh, and not fulfill, perfectly fulfilling the law, that the, that, the, that the overarching theme of our life is that we're known to be faithful to the Lord uh, and that we just continue to be faithful witnesses with, uh, to, to whoever the Lord has placed in our life. Well, I hope that this is helpful and it's definitely encouraging to me to see just going through each of these uh, chapters and seeing how Paul is using uh, being used by the Lord in this unique way. And I trust that if you're faithful to the Lord, the Lord will use you and I uh, in the same way as well. Thanks for listening. Take care and have a great day.